Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a very special edition of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. This is the first in-studio guest that we have had. He has already been a guest. He was the first guest on the program and the first in-studio guest, Pastor Patrick Boyle from Revival Baptist Church in Orlando, Florida. Welcome to Liberty Baptist Church and the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Thank you, Pastor McMurtry. That was an 18-hour drive just to be here for the podcast. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, well, we'll make sure we get some bonus and get some preaching and uh, yeah, we'll in, add, in too. That'll be added extras. So. Yes. <laughs> well, we are always excited to have Pastor Boyle here. And then, uh, too, if, let's go, if you want to go ahead and do a plug for the big conference coming up. Oh, in, yes, the, uh, old paths, the new Old Paths Conference. Um, that'll be in January. We're hoping to make it an annual conference, but it'll be our first ever. And we're going to be highlighting the doctrines that define churches like ours, which would be post-trib, uh, non-dispensational, uh, uh, replacement theology, uh, soul winning, family integrated, King James Bible. Uh, it's going to be a collage of all those doctrines. And of course, Pastor McMurphy will be preaching there as well. We've got a great speaker lineup. Uh, it's going to be a little different than any of the other conferences we've uh, had in the past. It's going to be morning sessions and evening sessions mm-hmm. with uh, question and answers, pastors, panels. Uh, and every day you come, it'll be a different topic. It'll be one of those defining topics. You're gonna, you, It's going to be meat served all day long, scriptural meat, and it'll be an encouragement. I hope you can make it. Yep. Well, I'm really excited about it. I've got like 700 ideas for what <laughs> I want to preach around there, and I'm just trying to figure out which one I'm going to stick with. and uh, But, yeah, it's a subject that I'm very, very interested in. And so uh, I, I know the you know that new old paths, though. Yes. I'm, I'm not real sure about the label. I don't know if we're going to – if you put new on it, we're going to lose the old paths crowd. Even though the problem with the old paths, the, the, you know, the hashtag old paths crowd, their old paths aren't old enough. Right. If you ask me. Right. So when you say new, but uh, either way – I think they'll use that as a distraction to avoid the actual subjects and doctrine is right. my prediction. But either way, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to what's going to be covered, the doctrines that's going to be covered. I would I would predict no matter what we name it, they're going to find something yes. besides the topic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. But, but it, it'll, it'll be good. It'll be really good. I'm, January I'm, 24th through the 28th, yes. uh, 2024. So mark your calendars, plan on yes. coming to that. Uh, I know it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about going to Florida in January. That's going to be really nice. That's about how excited I am to be here in the summer of Florida. <laughs> it's much cooler here than it is in Florida right now. Yes. Well, it's been hot. It's been well, for us at least. It's been pretty hot lately, but it's it's nice right now, so that's good. But anyway, well, what we're going to do on today's program today, this is just for fun. Uh, we're probably going to have two episodes of this. Me and Pastor Boyle, we are just going to watch YouTube Shorts. That are like proving pre-trib or debunking post-trib, and we're just going to talk about those mm. and have some fun watching YouTube shorts. So I've seen all these. I I pulled several random ones uh, off of YouTube, but Pastor Boyle has not seen any of these. So there's uh, he doesn't have any prepared responses to these. But I thought it'd be fun to just watch this stuff and respond to it. So let's go ahead and have our first video. So go ahead and roll that first one. What did the Apostle John see when he went to heaven? He was called up to heaven so that he could be shown the seven years of tribulation and how everything was going to play out. When he got to heaven, the first thing that he seen was 24 elders surrounding the throne of God, taking their crowns off and casting them at the feet of God. 
How did these 24 elders get a crown to begin with? The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, they tell us that at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, we go to the judgment seat of Christ and we receive our crowns. So if these 24 elders already have their crowns, that must mean that the Lord Jesus appears before the seven years of tribulation even starts. And that must mean if he appears that the church gets raptured. Hey, be sure to hit that follow button if you like this kind of content. We love you and God bless. Yeah. I say cancel our conference. We're now free trip. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I heard that guy's accent, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be good. This, this, this is going to be good. So the the 24 elders uh, are already have their crowns. So therefore, judgment seat of Christ has already happened. Pre-trib debunked. What do you think about that? So uh, obviously. Or you know, pre-trib proved. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, they, that's their that's their their nail in the coffin, apparently. But it's nothing I haven't heard. And this was something that, you know, I would have used in the past to prove a pre-trib rapture. Um, but there's a problem with that. They, they want to use 24 people to represent the entire church age, as they would call it. But then when you get to Revelation chapter 7, and you have a multitude no man can number, they want to say, oh, well, that's just the few Jews that remained. Mm-hmm. So the, the number doesn't matter in chapter 7 because it's too big, and the number doesn't matter in, in, uh, with the 24 elders because the number is too small. So it, it, you'll find that they only use it when it fits their, their schedule, mm-hmm. their timeline. So it's, it's nothing new, but the fact that it's 24 tells you that we it's obviously not the rapture. Mm-hmm. And if that's... It's, it's like any bad doctrine. When you don't have a text, you have to create a, di- a dialogue. And so, therefore, we know, not because the Bible says the rapture's already happened, but we have to have it already happening because if it's not, then it has to happen after the tribulation. And we know that's not for us. <laughs> so, therefore, 24 elders with the crown, boom, there you go. You have a rapture. It has to be. Follow for more info. I mean, that's... Yes. That's the content of it. Yes. And obviously there's a lot of things that are mysterious. And so you do. I don't think people realize how much of their theology is based on an assumption that they're right about something else. But it's like if you're wrong on that, it changes a lot of other things. And I just love seeing people's face, too, when they're like, what about the 24 elders? What do you think about that? I'm like, I believe it's 24 elders. Right. Amen. And then it's just like because if you ever symbolize anything, they lose their mind. But then with that, no, I just take it literal. I believe it's 24 elders. And I think, too, them casting their crowns at his feet, too, is a reference showing the authority that Jesus Christ has because he receives all power and all authority. And so at the end of the day, it's not about us giving our rewards back to Christ, which is what all the songs say and which is what preachers say all the time. No, I think it's just showing uh, the authority of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he accomplished. And so who are those Literal 24 elders, I, you know, I've got a few guesses, but I couldn't tell you for sure. Another thing that's important is if that is the church age, mm. then how do we define who gets to be the 24? You know, mm. are we vying for those seats? How do we get those 24 mm. seats? And it just shows you the scripture's silent on that. Mm. The scripture's not allowing any one of us to try and get a seat at that 24. So therefore, if it's not something that we're to be attaining, it's not us. There's no point in scripture telling us to try to be one of those 24. Right. Um, and so, yes, we can guess at who they are, but Scripture clearly makes it of no importance for us to try to obtain that. Mm. Um, so I would say if they had 
a proof text and then that was their supporting oh and by the way here's a cherry on top but what you're going to find i haven't watched these clips i literally just walked in and mm-hmm. we we're, we shook hands and here we are in front of the camera um but what you're going to find is there the pre-trib doctrine is proven with many things like that and they're all lacking substance absolutely and that's just it yeah and, and we're going to see that as we go through these things is there's not a lot of actual proof they take the smallest things and claim them as proof, but they don't right. prove anything. No, no, you're just assuming that's what these things represent. But they, they never display anything from the scriptures that gives credibility to that being a representat- representation of the church. There's nothing in the scriptures to indicate that. So mm-hmm. fail, but let's go ahead and let's watch video number two. Go ahead and roll Here it. are five proofs that the rapture of the church is before the tribulation. Proof number one. Daniel's 70th week, also known as the tribulation, is for the Jews, not the church. Number two, tribes are irrelevant now, but tribes will be important in the tribulation. Number three, as believers in this age, we are the temple of God, but in the tribulation, the rebuilt Jewish temple will be the temple of God. Number four, we are not appointed unto wrath, and the tribulation is a time of wrath. Number five, we have eternal security, but believers in the tribulation don't. Yeah. Wow. Can we start backwards? Yeah. 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 Let's let's work our way from the fifth because the the reasons kept getting progressively worse. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So let's go ahead and uh, let's talk about that last one. So the, the, the fact that salvation is different during the tribulation, it boggles my mind. That's the the key of dispensationalism and i i I cannot stand dispensationalism i grew up in it i used to believe it um i never would subscribe to the salvation dispensations but Mm. you know i would always well you know obviously there's a difference between the jews and church but they're taking the letters to the churches to endure to the end the same shall be saved and 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 by the way those are letters to who Church. The church, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that that's not the church because they're saved by enduring to the end, and therefore we know that's not the church, but it's in the seven letters to the churches. Mm-hmm. So there's a clear contrast and contradiction there. But then saved from what? From hellfire or from the, 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 the tribulation that the world is facing? God is giving those saints hope, saying, look— Hang on. I know the government's falling apart. War is everywhere. Christians are losing their head. The seals have been opened. That fifth seal is persecution of saints. And they're crying out, how long, O Lord? And God's saying, hey, endure to the end. The same shall be saved. Talking about the sky opening up and King Jesus coming back as our deliverer. So to say that it proves it's not the church in the seven letters to the churches (laughs) I gotta have a hard time with that one. Yeah, have you ever heard the argument too that uh, I, somebody just brought this up the other day, where they're talking about, well, you know, the Apostle Paul, the Gentile to the or the Apostle to the Gentiles, you know, he sure was derelict in his duties and not warning the church that they were going to have to go through the tribulation. Even though there are references to Paul talking about how they're going to endure tribulation, he told that to the th- church in Thessalonica, who actually had endured tribulation. Right. It came to pass. He literally said that to him. But either, either way you spin it, John literally wrote seven letters to seven churches right. telling them all about these things. So, you know, it, the, the Bible told us what we need to know. It's there, but they just it's, – it's for the Jews. 
And, and, you know, and obviously these videos are shorts, so they're not going to have time to defend everything about their doctrine. So I'm not going to criticize their lack of content. But I do know for a fact that the arguments he gave, you can't prove. You cannot prove that they don't have eternal security in the tribulation. That is, an, that is another gospel that they're right, teaching. Right. And uh, that is a great heresy to teach. Right that type of thing, but they cannot display that. They cannot prove that. And the Matthew 24 verse you referenced enduring to the end is one of their big proof texts and they ignore context. You know, this is about physical salvation. So yeah, that's, that's bad stuff. And you know, I'm really looking forward to dispensationalism getting hand, hammered at this conference too, because <laughs> yes. it is a, it, listen, I love so many of you dispensationalists out there, but dispensationalism in all forms is error it is wrong. It is bad. You need to dump it. Yes. Absolutely need to dump it. And I think the reason this kind of off topic, off topic, but I think the reason people won't walk away from it is because our view, our alternative view has been so distorted mm-hmm. that you must hate the Jews. You must. And they, they have this this whole dialogue of what it means, either dispensational or you have to still offer sacrifices today. Mm-hmm. You're either dispensational or you believe in tongues. You're either dispensational or you believe we have to work our way to heaven because that's what they thought the Old Testament was Mm -hmm. or what future uh, salvation will be. And so they misrepresent Scripture. And then the other thing is they they don't understand that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Mm -hmm. We're not saying it's one testament. Right. We believe in an Old Testament. We believe in a New Testament. We just don't believe in seven dispensations. And we also, while we believe in an Old Testament, we also understand that no one got saved by the Old Testament. They got saved by faith in a coming Messiah, and it was the New Testament of Christ's blood that purchased salvation. And so those during that time were able to believe and have salvation and have eternal security. And I just talked about this on Sunday in Jude 1 3. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, Amen. it was needful for me to write unto you that you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I mean, so is he talking, is this this faith that was once delivered to the saints referring to something in the past, is he just referring to the last you know few decades? Or is he going back even further? I think he's going back even yeah. further, especially when you look at all the examples he's given of false prophets and how God destroyed them. So again, we are, you know, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled the things that were spoken of him by the prophets and Moses, and the Psalms, and he fulfilled all those things. And those from the past that believe those things, they were saved by grace through faith. Just because we know more about that now does not change the fact well, that I, faith saved them. Well, and that's where, I, that's where I try and help with that is the Old Testament was not written for them to find salvation. If we understand that, it was written for our learning so that we could learn from their examples, right? That's what the, that's what the Bible tells us. So remember, in the Old Testament, they had prophets yes. that were given prophecy that were not written in this book. So the New Testament is written for us to find salvation. That's why they'll say, well, show me grace in the Old Testament. Well, it's there, but they'll say very, very faintly there. But, but how was Abraham saved? Well, Hebrews tells us, Romans tells us that it was by faith. Now, we don't necessarily see that per se, where Mm -hmm. he called on the name of the Lord like we would do today. But he did that Mm -hmm. because it said he did that. But it's not written in the Old Testament because he did that 
and that was the 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 Old Testament was written for us to learn. Think of it like a history book mm-hmm. of events that happened, mistakes that were made, so we don't make those same mistakes. But how did God speak to people in the Old Testament? Through prophets. Mm-hmm. So who knows what was preached? Well, I, I do know what was preached because the Bible says it was once delivered unto them. Correct. And one thing, too, that di- where dispensationalism has really messed up people's thinking, I'm coming across more and more things, and I'm wanting to do some uh, programs just on this, but things, uh, you know, just things, too, that really throw a monkey wrench in dispensationalism that shows that they did understand more yep. than we give them credit for. For example, how about in Noah's Ark? When they had the, they had clean and unclean animals, how did they know what those were? Right, that hadn't been given yet. Well, at least not in the scriptures. But obviously, it had been given. Yeah, that's them. where dispensationalism is. They think as we read about it, that's when they found Correct. out about yeah, it. But the Cain and Abel wouldn't make sense. No, absolutely not. And yeah, and there are there are there are so many things. I keep finding more and more just clear evidence that there were things they understood. For example, too. I heard someone defending this idea that, um, you know, the other versions of the Bible in Daniel where uh, he sees four men walking in one. A lot of the other versions say something along the lines of that he is like the, one of like the son of the gods or something like that. They don't like seeing that son of God because that, first off, it makes it very clear it's Jesus. Right. But then, two, in their dispensational mindset, they don't think anybody understood anything about the Trinity right. during that time. And so, therefore, you know, it must be, you know, he was probably saying that it looked like an angel because mm-hmm. angels were sons of gods, you know, as, you know, they teach right. about the Nephilim and all that nonsense. But it's like, wait, are you sure mm-hmm. that they didn't know about the Son of God during that time? There are some references that you can see in the Old Testament. And even that very clear reference, well, they'll just tell you, well, no, that's just not what it means. Yeah. And so other versions are correct, too. You know, and it's yeah. like, no, Mm-mm. I think the King James got it right. I think your dispensationalism has, you know, and if dispensationalism is right, well, then they wouldn't have known right. anything yeah. about it. But, no, you're just wrong about it's, that. It's uh, another term is progressive revelation. So yes. they progressively began to re- learn things. And as we reveal that it's by grace from Paul— they never knew that all along. Well, that's not what Scripture says. Another passage, 1 Peter 1, verse 9 says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. First Peter is telling us that the prophets searched for that grace and prophesied that it would one day come unto us, searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, which when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed. And it continues on. Testifying the sufferings of Christ? Beforehand. Beforehand. How is that not the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? How did Jesus in Luke 24 preach from Moses and all the prophets the things concerning himself? Right. Why did he tell, rebuke those men and you know, call them fools and slow of heart not to believe all the prophets, the prophets had, had spoken? spoken? Not what the women told them. But notice what the, the prophets. prophets had what? 
spoken. Yes. Spoken. So there's a lot of things that were spoken. We have the Old Testament for our learning, for our admonition, to learn from their mistakes or their or their, the decisions they made. But they were they were given direct information through prophets. That's why a false prophet was to be stoned because you were tampering with the the verbal word of God. Mm-hmm. Just as we're not to add or take away from the written word of God today. Yeah. Well, this is a lot of good stuff, and we, we only we, we only got, covered like one of his arguments. I know. You know, and those were weak, and there's there's the going to be some appointed under wrath. Yeah, the appointed under wrath, and that, the, a lot of these are going to get repeated. Okay. So okay. those arguments that he used, we're gonna we're gonna get to those because because well, you know what he's gonna say he got the first three on us, or we couldn't. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. We couldn't well, keep watch, Yeah, keep watching because <laughs> because they don't have very many arguments. They yeah, have to repeat a lot of them. So go ahead and, and roll the next video. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. All right, we've got the new song. The four and 20 elders are claiming that they are a blood-bought group in heaven, redeemed by Jesus. I believe they're the raptured saints. <laughs> so there you go. 20, he, he literally said, we have the 24 elders. I believe they're raptured saints. Right. Why don't they have to display why? Why don't they have to prove it? Yeah, and here's the thing. Every pre-tribber uses that. We're not just picking just some random goofball out there. Right. Everyone everyone yeah. does it. And I grew up hearing that same thing. Again, there's a big problem. The biggest monkey wrench in that whole philosophy or way of thinking is the number 24. That mm-hmm. kind of messes things up. But just because they see them there, you have to remember, they don't have a rapture a point of rapture. They say Revelation chapter four, verse one, mm-hmm. but there's no rapture there. And if I, whenever I talk to a pre-tribber, I at least get them to admit the rapture is not there. That's just when they believe it happens yes. because there's no rapture in Revelation four, one, but they mm-hmm. can say, well, I believe that's when it happens. So they're still lacking the content of when did the rapture happen? Well, I believe it happens here. Why? Mm-hmm. Because there's 24 people in heaven. Okay. Well, 24 people in heaven doesn't mean a rapture. Well, why? Because well, because it happens in chapter four, verse one. How do you know that? Because there's 24 people and they have a crown. Um, but to answer the the ones that he as he looks and he sees these that are in heaven praising, mm-hmm. all the way I look at it is in many times through Scripture you find an all encompassing statement, and then it goes back and it shows. So, for instance, another place that that takes place is when it says, "The great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand?" You could almost close out the book like that wow but then it goes back and says all right let me show you this wrath uh, trumpet one trumpet two mm. trumpet three so this is he sees this door and, and there's all of creation praising god okay well let me show you how they got there here we go seal one seal two mm-hmm. seal three so it's not necessarily indicating that this is the end or i think if they were to, if they were saying that this was proof of the pre-trip they have a lot of information later on that's gonna that's going to uh, counter counterdict mm. what they've just said. So remember, if they're not building on the fact that they have, well, right here's the verse, and here's all the evidence. It's we don't have a verse, so let me just pre- present circumstantial evidence and prove that 
somewhere in Revelation chapter 4, there has to be a rapture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see what they do in yesterday's podcast, I talked about this, how they have an image in their mind of how things are going to play out. They have a timeline that they got from a book, Mm -hmm. and they do not form their thinking from the scriptures. Somebody told them a scenario, and this is how things play out, and then they go to the scriptures look for proof of that. And so they they do they go to these scriptures interpreting them under under an assumption that certain things are correct that just aren't and so they they, uh, they make a huge deal out of nothing and then the fact too so many people say it i think it gives them that they have that strength in numbers and it gives them yeah. confidence to i mean again revelation 4 by itself there is there is no proof but yet look mm-hmm. at the confidence people have to proclaim that as the rapture right Strength in numbers, and you know, it's, you don't have to look like a village idiot. And it's funny how they're gonna they're gonna read between lines, add all this extra thought that's not there. Then when they get to chapter seven, they're gonna zoom out so far and say, "Oh no, that's just vague. That's that's not. That's just." I heard one say, "A multitude no man can number." Well, that could be like a hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. You can't number. That's too many. You know, and that's so. It's really not that many people. It's. But yet, 24 means all saved, raptured, dead in Christ, risen. Mm-hmm. And a multitude don't make a number means the fragments that remain. So it's just funny how they're meticulous when they want to be, and then they're just very vague when it doesn't fit their, t- their prearranged timeline. Right. Yeah. So well, let's go ahead. This uh, next video is by an exceptionally uh, crazy uh, pre-tribber of the Ruckmanite sort. So oh, go ahead boy. and roll the next video. People will use 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 3 to prove that the day of Christ, which is our gathering together unto him at the rapture and the coming of Jesus Christ, cannot happen until the Antichrist shows up first. But they didn't read the verse. The verse never said the rapture cannot happen until the Antichrist shows up first. Paul's saying the rapture and Armageddon can't happen until the Antichrist shows up first. Notice the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ at verse 1 is Armageddon at 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. Our gathering together unto him is the rapture. Also, 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12 shows that they, the lost world, will be in the tribulation with the Antichrist, but we, or you Christians, will be called to glory, which is the rapture, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14, and Colossians 3, 4. So the lost world will go through the tribulation, but we Christians are not there and will be raptured instead. I, my mind is spinning because he said, Paul did not say that the rapture could not happen. He said the rapture and Armageddon. He still said the rapture can't happen. Right. Well, <laughs> and here's the thing. Where's Armageddon? I don't know. In the, and here, I'll show you. Where, I'll t- I know because when I watch it too, I'm like, what? Because I'm thinking, where's Armageddon in this passage? Where's Armageddon? He, is he saying he, the wicked one revealed is Armageddon? No. Well, he said in, he said in verse one is Armageddon. Why? We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus. They believe, because what do they say all the time? You have to distinguish the difference between the rapture and the second coming. That's what they always tell you. And the second coming is Armageddon. The rapture is of the church. That's when we get called away and all that. So when it, when he sees coming of the Lord, he sees Armageddon because he's listening to theology books. Where if he used the scripture, if he got his terminology from the scripture, he would go to 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says, uh, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Right. 
So are you are you going to tell me that First Thessalonians four is about the rapture where he calls it the coming of the Lord? But then when he gets to Second Thessalonians two, the coming of the Lord is Armageddon. That's dumb. I didn't even understand his logic to begin with. Oh. But I mean, uh, you have to really do backflips. If so, here's the thing: when clear scripture debunks your complicated timeline, maybe the complicated timeline needs to go. A, a great example would be, you know, obviously I'm going to assume our audience, they're all saved. It's by faith alone, um, not by works. You know, so I wouldn't go to the gospel, go to someone's door and preach the gospel through James 2. Mm-hmm. No, but we all know James 2 is not teaching work salvation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the clear verses that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, that it's without the deeds of the law, that it's by faith alone. Believe, believe, believe. And I'm going to build that timeline with the clear scripture. Then I'm going to use that to help me understand, well, what in the world is James 2 talking about then? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas somebody who teaches works salvation, they're jumping right off from James chapter number 2. And so that's what you'll see also in other doctrines where they're not going to take you to a clear passage that says this is the coming of the Lord. They're going to take you to obscure passages and try and twist them and many times even parables to try and make them say something that they never were intended to. This, in his case, he actually went to a clear passage for us Mm -hmm. and is trying to twist it. Uh, But, I mean, let's just read it. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. No wonder he's scared of that. So he has to twist this one. Where's the seven years in between? <laughs> where where is anything that indicates two events and that there's seven years in between them? And why did he mention the we, last part right before the first part? And only one was for one was for us yeah. and one was for them, right? Yeah. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither it's by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, that day what? Our gathering together unto him, the coming of our Lord, shall not come, uh, I've already lost my, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. I say thank you. That's a great verse. Let's just read it, close our Bibles. We don't need any interpretation. It says what it means. There we are. Right. And you know what I've noticed, too? And this might be, uh, you know, come off as a harsh harsh accusation, but it's just true. That, again, there's that, that strength in numbers thing. When people yeah. hear something that makes them uncomfortable, they go to comfort from their gurus and their mouthpieces who mm-hmm. they just blindly follow. And so all they need is a guy like Gene Kim to just read it and say, that doesn't say, you know, what it says. And, and they, they're, they're fine with it because that's what you want to hear. Right. You want to hear so bad from someone that you trust that your position is is right, that their doctrine is right. And so they can literally go read a passage that says the opposite of what they're saying. And he just tells you, it doesn't say that, and, it, and, and you'll believe it. But, right. again, if we're, we're trying to talk to honest people here. We're trying to reach the honest crowd. And it's just like, no, look at what that says. You need, to, you need to prove to me the coming of the Lord is not the same thing as our gathering together. You need to prove the coming of our Lord and our gathering together and that the day of Christ are different things. No, they're all the same thing. There's, there's no way to— But this same crowd says the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are different. Right. And the, the earth that then was and the earth—you know, like, mm-hmm. it's like we've got different planetary systems. We have different uh, kingdoms. So it's interesting. But 
Another example of going to the verse that's actually teaching the opposite would be back to the work salvation, people who go to Hebrews 6 that say it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, wait a minute. It's telling you that if you could lose it, it'd be impossible to get it back. So it's actually in our corner. Mm-hmm. Thank you for taking us to Hebrews chapter 6. So, but I, I will say this. In my journey, and I don't, I'm trying not to be you know, sinister or mocking because I was in this crowd, mm-hmm. and I believed the pre-trib rapture with all my heart, with all my soul. And I, you know, looking back, I, I realized what I was doing, but I leaned heavily on people like that yes. to tell me what it means. And then I'd be like, okay, great. And then I would try to remember that. And then when I was reading my Bible at home, I'm like, okay, now how does this not mean that we're going through tribulation? And I'd have to go back and listen or read a book. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I relied heavily on the confidence that they, that they exhibited, <clears throat> even though I personally couldn't see it in the text. But once I accepted the fact that the Bible's my final authority, and I began to question maybe the timeline's not right, and I accepted the, a post-trib rapture view, these verses, I don't need to go online and figure out what people th- think they say. Mm-hmm. It says what it says, and you can be confident and a veil was genuinely lifted from my eyes. Mm-hmm. So I, I do see where people rely on the fact that maybe I don't see it, but he sure does, so therefore it has to be there. Absolutely right. And so they find comfort in the fact that <clears throat> Dr. Gene Kim, I mean, if Dr. Gene Kim's reading it and he doesn't have a problem with it, so I must be safe, you know. Right. I, and so, no, the Bible is written in a way where normal can people Amen. can read it and understand it. Right. And if you're reading it, and it's not making any sense, it's probably because your theology right. is wrong. Yeah. So let's go ahead and watch. Uh, next one, this one this should be fun. Uh, we're going to get preached to a little bit by a woman who oh kind of sounds like a stereotypical woman preacher. Yes, Jesus said that in this world we would have tribulation. That's the kind of trouble that comes from living in a sin-cursed world. But in Revelation chapter 5, the Bible tells us that the horrors of the tribulation period will be unleashed by one particular person, and that is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He is the one who opens up the seven seals, unleashes the seven trumpet judgments, the seven bowls of God's wrath. That's Jesus. There is no way that I believe that he would allow believers to be here during the tribulation because he is the one who took the hit for the wrath of God against my sin on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus, as the Bible says, is the one who saves us from the wrath to come. Jesus said when the tribulation comes, that will be trouble such as has never been seen or ever will be seen again. Jesus saves us from that. He doesn't pour out God's wrath on us again wow what well, i just <laughs> why can't women when they preach if it's okay for women to preach and i don't believe you know be a, or a pastor or whatever why can't they at least act feminine <laughs> why do they always look like they're trying to compete with the dudes well uh, it's because it's not an effeminate position <laughs> exactly <laughs> but somehow men are making it, it it's like it's like everyone instinctively knows this is this is for men yeah and so when women decide to step in and do it what do they typically do they try to act like men yeah well the to the content of that yes you know <laughs> okay so she at least admits we're promised tribulation mm-hmm. well i think it's very easy in scripture to prove that the tribulation ends before the wrath of God begins. 
and that is super easy with the sun and moon being darkened. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the great, terrible day of the Lord. Well, when does that happen? Well, we see Matthew 24 tells us when that happens. After the tribulation, then the sun and moon are darkened, and that we know by Joel is the time of the wrath of God. And another big problem with her theory is she's proving that God would, Jesus would never open these seals with us still here on earth. Well, the fifth seal, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So there are saved people being persecuted with this fifth seal, crying out, how long before you begin to judge this? Lord, this this injustice that's taking place. So what is that? Well, that is tribulation. And when the seven trumpets are unleashed at that seventh seal, with this, this silence in heaven for half an hour, the angels, before those trumpets can sound forth, what do they say? Hurt not the earth, mm-hmm. neither the trees, nor the sea. Till we have sealed the, for, uh, the servants of God in their forehead, and then a multitude no man can number shows up in heaven, which would prove what she was saying, that we're not going to face the wrath of God. Because before the wrath part is poured out, a multitude in heaven shows up, and then trumpet one happens. Mm. Trumpet. That's the wrath of God. This part here is just, I liken it to what Jesus said in his earthly ministries to Judas, and, and he, you know, that thou doest do quickly. Basically saying, hey, now is your chance to betray me. Now is your chance to crucify me. Uh, Jesus in these seven seals is saying, okay, seal number one, you can set up your Antichrist. Seal number two, you, and just or Job, another example. Mm-hmm. You can only go so far. And then he went to the point of, all right, Satan, you can even touch his health, but not to, don't take his mm-hmm. life. And Satan always operates in restrictions, and those seals are nothing more than God lifting the restrictions and Satan – setting up his, 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 his man, Satan persecuting the Christians, and then finally God says, enough, and he begins to pour out his judgment. But prior to that, the multitude no man can number shows up. Cor- correct. So. Yeah, and just two, you know, two things with that. One, why is it that Jesus would tell his disciples in the world, ye shall have tribulation, and that's okay, but it's not okay for them to go through the tribulation? Everyone will agree Christians go through tribulation. But the, the thing is, the tribulation, they have accepted Larkin's terms. Larkin right. made the tribulation and the great tribulation, you know, seven years that includes the seals, trumpets, and vials. And so they've, in, and you know, we are trying to use the terms the way the Bible does. They're using the terms the way Larkin does, and so it kind of creates confusion. But the, here's the one argument that she did mention that I've heard a lot of uh, men preachers even say too, is that, well, Jesus breaking the seal, so that proves this is wrath. Wait a minute. A book's handed to him, and he's breaking off the seals. I believe in that book contains the wrath of God. You know, after he opens the book, you know, you have to get all the seals off before you can open the book. You know, the seven trumpets are blasted. But what's he doing? He is revealing things to John. It's not that him pouring his wrath out. It's him revealing things. And so when he breaks the first seal, you see the white horse. You know, the second seal the black horse or, uh, you know, and so again, none of those things are state that Jesus is pouring his wrath out on the world. No, he's showing John things that are to come. He's showing him things of the future. Yeah. So 
The only thing where it explicitly says it's him's wrath is when he pours out his wrath without mixture, you know, when he's pouring out the seven vials, you know, and I do believe the trumpets and vials are simultaneous and that the trumpets are God's wrath too, but it's, it's only the vials that are explicitly stated as that. And so, uh, it's just terrible argument, but, uh, we do, we, uh, we're, we're out of time for today's program, Mm. but we do have more for you. This stuff goes by fast. Uh, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. But uh, we do. We have some more YouTube shorts of people debunking pre-trib and or uh, debunking post-trib, proving the pre-tribulation doctrine. And so we will try to get through those uh, quickly tomorrow for tomorrow's program. And I know you're all going to enjoy it. So we appreciate everyone joining us today. We will see you all on tomorrow's episode.